This is Cask Club Radio. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling. On Cask Club Radio, we believe every spirit has a story. And stories like good drinks are always better when shared with friends. Each week, we'll explore the intersection of cocktails, spirits, beer, wine, and life. It's Cask Club Radio. Here's your hosts, Lydia Cruz and Justin Stiefel. Good afternoon. Welcome to Cast Club Radio. I'm Maura Dooley. And I'm Justin Stiefel. And we are without Lydia today. She is currently in London for the Seahawks game tomorrow. Yeah, she drew the short straw of that assignment <laughs> and uh, was forced to go to do some on-the-ground reporting. And we hope she's having a great time. And uh, we know she took a few extra days off to go tour around England prior to the game. And she'll be back next week to regale us with her stories. Yeah, it would have been nice to have her be our woman on the street and check in, but she deserves some time off. So we'll hear her stories after. But we are going to talk to Stu Court, who's a member of the Seahawkers Club UK, later in the hour about some of the fun stuff that they have going on tomorrow. That's right. Justin, we are in mid-October already. I cannot believe how this year is flying by, but we are definitely getting closer and closer to people needing to worry about that holiday shopping. And I know you have the advent calendars all ready to go, right? We do. We're shipping advent calendars right now. We're getting people coming into the tasting rooms, the distilleries, and online ordering every day. The holidays literally are around the corner. If you've been to Costco lately, you see they have Christmas trees up already for sale, Christmas presents up (laughs) already for sale. At the same time, they put up the Halloween costumes and all the Halloween candy. You're seeing uh, news about Amazon and FedEx and UPS who are uh, paying bonuses and hiring people in anticipation of their run-up to Christmas shopping, which is literally only a few weeks away. I mean, it's right around the corner. So the advent calendar is uh, what we always highlight during the holidays, and this year we will sell a record number of those, and we're very excited about that. They are such a cute gift. First of all, they're just packaged so well. And then I love that you get such an assortment. I I really enjoyed mine last year and was able to make quite a few concoctions with it. (laughs) Well, and this year, we so the advent calendar, for people who don't know, uh, has 24 mini bottles the size that you'd see on an airplane and uh, 24 bottles of products that we make. This year, we've got a few new whiskeys in there that uh, have not been widely released. We thought we'd release them in the advent calendar as a bonus. And of course, gins, whiskeys, bourbons, a couple flavored vodkas, and of course, the perennial favorite, BSB and BSB 103. Those make for good hot toddies this time of year. They do. They do. <laughs> Speaking of whiskey, you have a whiskey story in the headlines today, don't you? We do. First story in the headline, we, we joked about how we need to make a new segment. We're going to call this segment, You Spent How Much on That Bottle of Whiskey? So in this week's news, a bottle of whiskey they think is going to sell at an upcoming auction for $1.2 million. This comes from our friends at CNBC. Uh, This piggybacks off of a rare 60-year-old Macallan whiskey that sold for $1 million in May. This was in Hong Kong. Well, hours later, another rare Macallan from 1926 fetched $1.1 million at the same event, again in Hong Kong in May. Now Sotheby's New York is looking to break that record. This month, they're going to auction off the Macallan 1926. It's a 60-year-old bottle of whiskey, uh, limited Peter Blake design labeled. They think it'll fetch up to $1.2 million, which would be the highest ever for a bottle of whiskey or wine, according to Sotheby's. It is called the 1926 vintage because that's when it was distilled. It was aged 
for 60 years in sherry casks, and then it was released in 1986. There were only 40 bottles made, and of those 40 bottles, 12 were labeled and signed that year with an exclusive design by a British artist named Peter Blake. He designed the album cover for the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Bottle number 9 of the 12 is what is being sold at Sotheby's this year. So in the rare market, $1.2 million for a bottle of 1926 Scotch whiskey. And we will report to you after it sells on what the final sales price was. Uh, that's just so crazy to me because you know that no one's ever going to drink that it's just a collector's item but then i guess i think about me liking to collect sports memorabilia and you know i have a football that no one's ever going to use or throw (laughs) in a case so i guess maybe it's similar it is, and uh, again, to have one of only 12 bottles where this uh, the artist that did the Sgt. Pepper's art cover for the band is, the album is, is pretty rare. That's, that's a pretty cool yeah, story. Yeah, it's also a piece of art. That's true. Yes. Next up, this comes from thedrinksbusiness.com, and uh, thieves have stripped a vineyard bearer of its grapes. This uh, theft occurred in southern Germany. Somebody took a professional grape harvesting machine, uh, broke into the vineyard at night, and completely stripped it bare of all grapes. This is uh, obviously devastating for the winemaker and the vintners. They think it occurred sometime between 6 p.m. and sunset the following day. Now, you know, big fields, you don't always have somebody in the field every day, so somebody might have access to it, but this is going to obviously wipe that winery out in terms of their production this year from their estate-grown wines. And this is just another in a series of grape theft that have happened in uh, different vineyards in France, more in Germany, and even here in the U.S. in a small winery in Virginia, uh, where they reported that $50,000 worth of grapes were stolen overnight when somebody broke in and, and actually took the grapes that had been picked before. So this is you know unfortunate series of events. Now, luckily, we're looking at bumper grape crops around the world this year as opposed to last year where quite a few of the grapes were uh, damaged or destroyed or didn't grow to their potential. Uh, so in the world of, of grapes or globally in the market, this is not going to make an impact, but it does impact these people who own these vineyards kind of strange it makes me wonder are the grape thieves trying to make wine themselves or is there some kind of black market where people will make buy the grapes from you and make wine it's just interesting to think what they do with these once they steal them it's a good question especially in light of the fact that i read some news this week about some technology coming out where they can take wine and analyze it and come up with the chemical footprint or fingerprint of the wine and take it back to specific plots of land that those grapes grew on because each uh, terroir area has a specific fingerprint to it, soil acidity, conditions, nutrients, and so on. So you could see somebody getting bottles of wine, testing it, and then being able to scientifically prove it came from those vineyards eventually, mm-hmm. but I don't think they're quite there yet. It would be like counterfeit money. Basically, yeah. And finally, Prosecco in Italy explodes. This is a 30,000 liter tank of sparkling wine in fermentation, and it exploded. Uh, We'll post the video. This comes from DailyMail.com in UK. A huge tank overflowed at a winery in the Veneto province of Italy. The uh, tank had been overfilled by staff, and then the lid was not put on properly. And, of course, Prosecco is a sparkling wine. Lots of uh, sugar and yeast go in there. 30,000 liters is a huge tank. And let's just say that the folks who who run the winery, they had a lot of cleaning up to do. 
Oh my goodness. Yeah, I love all these <laughs> comments from apparently uh, Facebook users that love Prosecco saying things like, we need to pack up the rubber dinghies and long straws and find this place. <laughs> yes. You want to see an Italian cry, <laughs> pour Prosecco on the ground. Oh my gosh. Well, we we had that story about a YouTube blogger that was using it to wash her hair, right? So, oh yeah. Um, and people using vodka to wash their jeans and uh, <laughs> lots of uses for alcohol besides uh, internal imbibing. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk about just that, imbibing. Have you ever gone to a bar and had trouble deciding what you want, or maybe gotten a cocktail that wasn't exactly what you thought it was? We're going to talk to you about how to order off the cocktail menu like a pro, coming up next on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. Justin Stiefel and Maura Dooley here with you today. And Justin, I know that we've kind of been around the bar industry a little bit, but for some people going in and ordering a drink, especially in a very trendy, busy bar, can be kind of a nerve-wracking experience. And we've got some tips for people today. We do. Yeah. So we pulled this article down off of MSN. This uh, was written by Dan Dow, and it originally appeared in Food and Wine magazine. And basically, he poses the question, how should somebody order off the menu like a pro? And what do we mean by order off the menu? It means it's not something that appears on the menu. Have you ever been in a restaurant where you are sitting down and you ask the waiter or the waitress, hey, tell the chef to make me something exciting and uh, make it the chef's choice. And uh, that's ordering off the menu, right? Or ordering something very specific that does not appear on the menu. Same thing with cocktails. And in fact, it is more uh, widely accepted in restaurants and bars to order off the menu because people like their cocktails so specific as opposed to ordering food off the menu from the back of the kitchen. Yeah, and I think that, especially if you're going to more of a a craft place like is so popular here in Seattle, most bartenders kind of take pride in in being able to make you something off-menu that you're going to like, and that's to your specific taste. They do. The bar is like a giant chemistry lab, and uh, (laughs) they have all the ingredients there. So the first thing to figure out is, what do you like? You want something sweet, something sour, something citrusy, tart, bitter, creamy, and so on. Don't you, you can't just tell the bartender, hey, make me a drink, because there are so many different spirits, and, and the, the flavor profile that people like is so wide and so varied. If you pose the question like that to them, you're likely to end up with Fernet uh, three fingers tall with one ice cube, <laughs> which is not what most people would expect. So expect the bartender to ask you back, hey, what do you like? Do you want it sweet, sour, creamy, straight? Uh, you want it with some tonic? That will let them narrow down the range of options. Because again, like a regular chemistry lab, different spirits and ingredients are going to play off of one another better or worse, depending on what they're mixed with, the proportion, and how they're mixed together. So it's critical that you get the base understanding of what you are looking for uh, before they start. Yeah, and Dow, who bartends at Middle Branch Bar in New York City, actually says that when you say not too sweet, he kind of takes offense to that because it implies that he might make you something that's less than balanced, which he says he wouldn't. That's right. <laughs> but you can tell the tell them if you prefer something sweet. But I think if you're at a good craft cocktail bar, they shouldn't have anything that's going to be, you know, like a really sugary 
lemon drop or anything like that. It should all be pretty balanced. That's right. And uh, at those bars that have that wider range of craft cocktail-based spirits, uh, you're going to get quite a few local, small, and international products that are not going to necessarily be at your everyday back bar that's at the standard back bar. And you're going to probably see a lot more unique, fresh ingredients. One bar we went to recently had honey with the honeycomb in the drink. And so as you're done drinking it, you've got this honeycomb. And of course, the honeycomb is a little waxy and edible. And so you have this uh, little thing to chew on as opposed to a more typical garnish like uh, a mint leaf or a citrus rind. Oh, that sounds awesome. I've never seen a drink with a little bit of honeycomb in it. See, the garnishes matter too sometimes. <laughs> they do. You know, we had a cocktail a couple of weeks ago on the show here. Had coffee as the base flavor component, and one of the ways that we garnished it up was by floating three whole coffee beans on top of the foam in the middle, uh, just to create that uh, tie-in visually to the the drink. Yeah, and then I think it's also important if some people really just don't know what kind of cocktail they want, they just want to experiment. If you want a true bartender's choice and you and you don't care, then just maybe tell them some things that you don't like because I think everybody does have a couple of things that they know they don't want and that will help them narrow it down or if you just really want to go out on a limb and try something different you know maybe if you say you want to try something bitter so you try a Negroni or you try something along those lines and you end up not liking it that's okay too but try to be a little bit adventurous and uh, just give your bartender the reins. That's right and I, I try to visualize it from the end, bringing it forward. So when I, I say that, I mean, visualize what's the glass? What is the glass going to look like that you want this in? And you might want to ask for that kind of glass. Do I want ice or not? If it's ice in the drink, do I want big ice cubes or do I want crushed ice? So I, I try to visualize that. And from there, then you can pick what flavor profile it is you're looking for. Do you want it to be fruity on the base? Do you want it to be spirits forward so you really are tasting the alcohol do you want it to be foamy or do you want it to be clean and clear do you want it to be sour do you want it to be sweet if you deconstruct it backwards you will guide the bartender down the path to let them be creative for you the other thing to ask them is what's new hey what is one of the newer spirits that's been brought in here maybe something new the distributors brought in a new product in the market and uh, have you been playing around with that to make me something um, that is more sweet or less sweet by using that as the base ingredient? And you may find that they are very creative because they're excited to figure out how to use that new product. Yeah, and I would say don't knock a lot of things until you've tried them because you, you mentioned frothy drinks and a lot of times that's going to have some shaken egg white in it. And that sounded so strange to me when I first heard of it, but it really gives like some, some texture and depth to your drink, and it doesn't taste like egg white at all, but it's delicious. And to get you some protein. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, a evening protein shake. You know, build some muscle. And then we talked about this last week too, but uh, things like the ice can matter if you're if you're getting in, like an old fashioned. You want that big ice cube that's going to melt slowly and not water down your drink as opposed to crush ice. If you prefer martini glasses, you can order your martini up. You can order your martini neat. Um, these are all things that you can let the bartender know if you have things that you prefer because a lot of those drinks come served a certain way at that bar. That's right. Most important, though, is be respectful. If it's 8 o'clock 
on a hopping Friday night. Don't ask the bartender to make you a 15-step cocktail <laughs> uh, from scratch. You know, they are so busy. They've got all the waiters, the servers, the waitresses, the managers coming at them, sending in drinks. The tickets are flying. People want beer. They want wine, on and on and on. And they're slammed. And, yeah, they're there to serve you. But that's not really the appropriate time to play whack-a-mole in terms of making them guess what you might or might not like. <laughs> yeah. I had a regular when I bartended in Colorado that used to always order mojitos and then he spread the word and would bring like five of his friends to get mojitos. But at midnight when I, you know, have a crowded bar with a bunch of people waving at me, there were times that I would say, you know what, you're having a rum and coke tonight instead of a mojito. Yeah. <laughs> and he'd say, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sidebar, we went on a cruise with the kids, uh, my wife and I took the kids last spring, and they have the all-you-can-drink package all day, unlimited, bottled water, coffee, beer, wine, cocktails, and so on. And the kids are included in that, and they would order virgin mojitos, and there's nothing that made the bartenders (laughs) angrier (laughs) than not being able to pour alcohol in this mojito that they had to spend time muddling muddling and everything and getting it ready, and then... Off the kids go with their virgin mojito. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) I mean, actually, though, there is a pretty good mocktail scene at a lot of these bars out here, too. So there are some drinks that take some effort but have no alcohol on a lot of these uh, craft cocktail menus. Well, the trick on that is to get the profile and flavor correct on the cocktail absent the alcohol. And a lot of times the alcohol is what has the base flavor that contributes to that cocktail. So if they're making high-quality great tasting mocktails with no alcohol, they are really going above and beyond to uh, get that balance properly. Yeah, I think that's where when you make a lot of house-made shrubs or syrups, that's where you can throw together a pretty good mocktail using those. Well, coming up next, we'll get an expert's opinion on this. We'll ask a bartender how to make sure you get the perfect drink every time. My friend and former fellow co-worker Patrick Spaulding joins us next on Cast Club Radio. Club Radio. I'm Maura Dooley in studio with Justin Stiefel today. A while back, Lydia, Justin, and I sat down with Patrick Spaulding down at the waterfront at the Miner's Landing. We talked to him a little bit about being a bartender and also played a little bit of a fun word association game. But first up, we asked him his thoughts on how to make sure you get the cocktail you want every time. And his first tip was really just to be open-minded. You know, if I could give advice to being a good patron, is to, you know, let, if someone ha- is trying, if a server or bartender is trying to walk you through your selection when it comes to wine, don't don't shut things off because you think you don't like it or, you know. I think when you eat things and drink things, it should be about exploration, you know. Of course you know what you like, you know. that's you got you got chocolate chip cookie ice cream, you know, in your freezer for a reason. But when it comes to going out and dining, you know, it's amazing what a little bit of wine does with a little bit of food, you know, and 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 people in restaurants, they're professionals, especially in Seattle. They know what they're doing. They know how to how to tell you how to enjoy your meal even better with a little bit of wine. And and I would say to, you know, maybe turn off that that objection, you know, right away, that initial objection. Yeah. What's a good way for people to ask? Because we talked to someone before who said they don't really like when people come in and just say, What's good? What's good? What's That's good all. Here? What's the balance of, it's kind of like, give me this or let me have this, but what is the balance of how someone should ask for advice or help or... You know, I maybe call previous experiences, you know? 
Uh, I really don't like Chardonnay that hangs out in oak barrels a lot, you know, but I'm open to something that is done in steel or maybe concrete eggs, you know. I don't know. You know, it's unfortunate. I, I think everyone in the industry, restaurant industry, has their moments. It's it's full-on customer service all the time. That's not an easy job. I don't remember the stats, but I think somewhere that's just as stressful at one point when people were taking polls as, like, or maybe right below what an air traffic controller is, you know. It's not easy taking care of guests. I know that I've had some, some raging uh, burnouts and failures in my life uh, that I'm not too proud of, but they happen, you know. And I think that uh, that as a server and bartender, I try to I try to take myself out of it and really help the guests. That's the ideal situation. When somebody walks up to the bar and says, what's good here, what's your first reaction? Well, in my previous bar, I said our barrel-aged old-fashioned because it was our signature drink and it was easy to, because it was awesome. So, uh, I, I, as a as a bartender server, whatever whatever you execute well, it should be that's that's what's good here, you know. And that could diff, you know, some people might not, maybe they don't make a great margarita. They make a, you know, I don't know, a killer mezcal old-fashioned, you know. Can you tell the personality of a person by what they order to drink? I think if I took notes, yeah. Uh, we did a little word association last time. I think that we should do that. So word association. So we're going to throw out a few things. Just your first reaction. Yeah. yeah. First reaction. Yeah. So Jack and Coke. The mayor. The mayor. Yeah. <laughs> I have a regular. His name is Jerry. He loves Jack Daniels. He single-handedly would sell Jack Daniels. But he's not the actual mayor. No, he's not. Because he knows a lot of people. Okay. He knows a lot of people. He's like a concierge. Yeah, he is. Okay. He's a he's a master of a lot of things. He's, okay. he's a good dude. Cosmo. Uh, Twenty five something. You know, I don't woman. Okay. Yeah. Roman coke. <laughs> I'm not good at this. I don't. I, I don't. I don't make a lot of Roman cokes. You know. I would. Say, yeah. I, I can't say anything of that one. Tequila sunrise. Uh, the Eagles. Long Island iced tea. Uh, Brosif. Brosif? Yeah, yeah bro. Is that yeah. name Joseph? Yeah, Brosif or Brosifus or yeah, any kind of... Is it the guys or the ladies ordering Long Island? It's, it's guys. You know, to be honest, in, in the setting that, I'm, that I was in in South Lake Union, I think a lot of people that work for Amazon are like fifth-year college students. Uh, and, and it's very much, you know, you can tell by the buildings that go up. I've been in a few of those apartments, you know, barring the ones on the very top floors. They're pretty much all the same, minuscule amenities. They can walk to work. So there's a very, it, it has a college-esque atmosphere. Um, and, and that's when people order Long Islands. You know, sometimes, too, it's maybe that's what they remember, you know. Um, if the situation presents itself and someone orders that and I have the ability to say, hey, you know, why are you ordering this, blah, 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 you know, maybe figure out a little bit and I could maybe steer them towards something else, you know. Okay. So, some more word association here. Okay. Rosé. Rose. <laughs> uh, any day is good day for Rosé. <laughs> I love Rosé. Okay. What about a snifter of cognac? Uh, like a highbrow, kind of, you know, Thurston Howell III kind of lover, you know, that kind of... <laughs> What about a double of vodka neat? Some uh, paleo. Someone that's like uh, CrossFit. Probably CrossFit trying to get a quick buzz. <laughs> Got to keep the core warm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I love vodka and water when I'm on the beach. You know, it's equal, equal parts fun and uh, equal parts hydration. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, what about uh, Martini? James Bond. <laughs> Shaking, not stirred kind of thing. Which I guess is supposed to be the Vesper. That might have been a marketing thing a couple of James Bonds ago. Old fashioned. I just think classic. Yeah. yeah. Manhattan. Classic, sophisticated. Ah, margarita. Lots of fun. Mm. <laughs> Daiquiri. 
also lots of fun. Uh, and my, I think my favorite, my favorite go-to drink, uh, if it's just I want something quick, is a DTO, Daiquiri Timeout. Okay. Yeah, uh, and it's great. It's an easy ratio. That ratio makes probably five or six other drinks that can also be knocked out real quick when you're in a jam. Hey, I, my friends want a shot. You know, I'm putting, you know, two parts rum, one part lime, half part sugar, and shake it. From shake a gaming perspective, who's more fun, margarita, daiquiri? You'd think margarita was, but I think daiquiri is going to be more fun. Yeah. Yeah. It was Hemingway's drink of choice, right? Uh, yeah, he had, yeah, he added a little Luxardo, and I think it was equal parts lemon and lime as well, yeah. Yeah, it had a little kind of cheeky ter- you know, cherry thing going on with the with the cherry you know, Luxardo. Fireball. Yeah, I was going to say shots. Man, uh, I, don't, I carried Fireball because I would sell it, so yeah. It's also easy. Yeah. I think hangover. Yeah, hangover. <laughs> I mean, I like Fernet Branca is something that I, I, I shoot a lot of. It, it took me a while to, to really like the bitter things, um, but Fernet Branca, Branca Menta, those, those, are, those are great amaros. And the shift is over. What are the, what's the crew drinking in the back? You know, my old GM used to say, Patrick, give me whatever you want. And so we would do a lot of rye. In the back, it's in the back of the house, it's tall boy Rainiers and well whiskey. So you're, so you're part of the brotherhood of Fernet? Yeah, I have a couple coins. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I've never had someone call me out on a coin, but I have a couple coins. I do like Fernet. It's, I do. I like it a lot. What about Absinthe? Absinthe. Canada. <laughs> I like Absinthe. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not really doing good on the word association, but if I think Absinthe, I think of like a, a Sazerac. You know, I, it's any kind of anise liqueur makes it great. There's another one called the Dixie that's a variant of a Sazerac that's really, really fun as well. Word Association, uh, Jägermeister. Not for net. Not for net. Sugary for net. Like sweet for net. Yeah. 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 Keep it frozen. Yeah. I mean, it does make good slushies. Yeah. Sambuca. I love Sambuca. And you worked in a Greek restaurant, so I Uzo. did. Uzo was pretty big, yep. Yeah. Uzo. My, one of my fondest memories when I was in the Navy was uh, drinking pints of Guinness uh, with Sambuca chasers. And the chasers were to the brim martini shells. Full of cool. sambuca. Yeah. Sambuca's a little bit hurting. It's, it's colder, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like a cross between uh, Uzo and Jägermeister. Well, I don't. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it does have a little more sugar in it. Yep, absolutely. Um, you know, it's funny. Uh, one of the, a famous running back used to drink Patronuses, which was uh, uh, kind of a funny combination cocktail, Patron and Hennessy. In, in, in Who was that? It was uh, Mr. Lynch. Really? Oh, like I can totally. That does sound like that. Yeah. You know, fifty-fifty shots are fun. They really are, especially especially if you include some Amaros. Or, you know, anything that has kind of funky flavors. Yeah, there you go, yeah. The uh, Mind Eraser, classic with, uh, you know, any kind of coffee liqueur and vodka, you know, just shoot it real quick. I, you know, I have seen a resurgence of Caucasian, white Russians. A lot of, you know, I don't know that I can have the dude abides. I love them, but man, when someone, it's like 1 o'clock in the morning and they're on their sixth white Russian, I just, oh, I hope they have Stomach some, yeah, Bino or something. I always yeah. forget about white Enzymes. Bailey, like dairy intolerance, not, not good. Not good, not with whole cream, heavy cream. How do you feel about going into a grocery store and seeing at Christmas time the handles of alcohol, eggnog not in the refrigerator section how does that make you feel I'm not a food scientist but I'm sure it's safe Uh, pasteurization. I, think. Uh, yeah. I don't know who created that. Pasteur. Or Blue, 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 I was gonna say, was it? Yeah, it might have been like 
Louis no. Louis, I think it's Louis Pasteur yeah. or something like that. Yeah. There's just something not natural about that. No, not natural. Well, I mean, milk in a box. Parmalat on the on the shelf. Yeah, no. Well, something's, uh, something's not quite right with that. Because when alcohol and dairy mix, it's a bit, right? Yeah. So, have it sit there for months on end, cold May. Something not quite right. Yeah, I would agree. If you're buying it, you're probably not too worried about that. Oh, I don't know. I wonder what was wrong with the cow. I would recommend mixing the booze with your eggnog on your own. I like that. I'm just waiting for uh, silk to come out with the product. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Soy nog? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Soy? Oh, yeah. Soy shooters. Yeah, yeah. soy nog. Oh, geez. Snog. Yes. Have some snog. <laughs> I'm going to serve that this year. Oh. It could sound very uh, Norwegian. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't think the boozy soy nog is going to take off anytime soon. But up next, the Seahawks are in London ready to take on the Raiders tomorrow. You heard from Patrick in this segment about what former Seahawk Marshawn Lynch likes to drink. We're going to be talking to Stu Court of the UK Seahawkers Club to find out what the drink of choice will be for them before tomorrow's big game. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. Maura Dooley and Justin Stiefel in studio with you. And right now we have a special guest all the way from the UK with the Seahawks taking on the Raiders there tomorrow. We want to talk to Stu Court of the UK Seahawkers Club. Thanks for joining us. No worries. Thank you for having me. When did the UK Seahawkers get started? Uh, the first inception was back in the 1980s. The newsletter from from the southwest of England, and then how it is in its current form really began in 2004, in, basically in the back room of a pub with about a dozen or so people. <laughs> and then uh, we entered this week with 2,800 members on a Facebook group and between three and 400 uh, paid members to the chapter and fan group. Wow. And what do you have planned for Sunday's game? We have a big pre-game party on the Saturday night in the centre of London, near London Bridge. There's uh, about 500, 600 people coming to that. There's quite a few special guests. And then there'll be a pre-game meet in the pub close to the stadium from lunchtime on game day. You know, we are very into discussing beer, wine and spirits on this show. What kind of drinks do you have there when you when you pre-game for something like this? Well, Fireball is something obviously we, we kind of picked up from People going on trips over to Seattle, the games and the people, the, the locals uh, help us out and look after us unbelievably when we head over. But for me, it'll be IPA and anything like that. Anything's on tap on Sunday and Saturday, and then obviously uh, with quite probably probably too much fireball as well. <laughs> Do the crowds get as rowdy for American football as they do for soccer? Not usually. I've been to a few games at Wembley uh, a few years ago, and yeah, it's a bit more subdued because obviously, there's basically every team is represented, so it's not as not as split evenly between two. So, not not usually, but we're hoping to and aiming to make ourselves heard on Sunday with so many people coming from all over the world not just England and Europe but there's quite a few people coming from your side of the Atlantic as well yeah the Seahawks travel well and this is their first time over there it should hopefully be loud what is it that entices somebody from another country in your case the UK to say I'm going to be a fan of this team halfway across the world in a sport that is not inherent to the UK what what made Uh, you pick the Seahawks to be the team you want to follow but the, the Seahawks are the first team I remember watching on TV. Obviously, 
got things I can't remember who they played, but it was a prime time game. So I was up late, it was on late, and they won. Sean Alexander ran for a thousand yards or something. So it's kind of, and then the next <laughs> morning I um, ordered his jersey from a website. But there's, there's different stories for every person, has a different story. A lot of the, the older generation go back to the 80s when it first came over. And obviously they were supported a bit of the underdog, which the Seals were back then. But then obviously the people have kind of latched on in the last 10 years or so with the Super Bowl win, the Super Bowl trips and the, well, success, I guess, kind of. So they've kind of latched on through there, but every person has a different story. Mm -hmm. So when it was announced that they were going to London to play, how long between that announcement and the time you got your tickets for the game? Uh, Well, a bit longer than uh, we'd like, because they moved the stadium, but, yeah, it was... was it wasn't. It was actually easier. I was in Arizona two weeks ago. It's easier for me to get that ticket than it was to get a ticket to a game sixty miles away. So, but it, it was a bit stressful at times. But we got there in the end. I got a ticket. So that's all that matters. <laughs> that is all that so matters. You traveled. You traveled to Arizona for the game a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, wow. how many games a year do you try to get to? Uh, one. So, uh, Arizona was my fifth uh, straight year of going to a game. I was in New York last year. And there's a few people who were trying to go to games with usually, go, go games with usually. And then the three years before, we all got out to Seattle. And actually, the first game I saw was the Raiders four years ago at CenturyLink. So it's pretty That's cool awesome. it's come around like this. It's just down the road this time. That is real dedication. Yes. Somebody flying around the world to go to a game at least once a year. That's a big deal. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. And as I said, the people over in Seattle, we've got, we've got a group of friends over there who, who look out for us and reach out when, when the schedule comes out, offering us ways to get tickets. And so the, the people in Seattle are very helpful and very, very much appreciated. And I hope that we can uh, repay that this weekend, repay the hospitality this weekend for the guys taking the trip the other way. So for Seahawks players and coaches, assistants, all the support, people from the Seahawks organization, when they go into the stadium Sunday to play, what will be different than what they might see in an American stadium? Uh, well, just a lot more teams represented, I think, is the main thing, because I think NFL UK and NFL I'll try and get, as I said, all 32. But, yeah, it's just, I mean, I think Wembley's probably bigger than most stadiums they play at over in, in the States as well. But, yeah, I think the more split crowds with all 32 teams represented, I think, will be the biggest difference. That makes sense. Since you don't get the NFL that often, there'll be people there that are rooting for teams other than the Raiders and the Seahawks, but just want to see an NFL game. Yeah, yeah. So I've, I've, I've had text messages from mates, from friends who are Falcons fans and Patriots fans who want who want me to try and have them get tickets for a few days. So yeah, there'll <laughs> be a fast, a fast. I would love their teams back. I would love to see the reaction of Londoners on the streets when the Oakland Raiders fans, who are all dressed up like pirates, are walking up and down the streets. They look pretty scary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the, the Wembley Stadium has a walkway up to the stadium called Wembley Way, and it's like, I don't know, half a mile long walk, if not a bit longer. And so it's, it's like, like the thing you do when you go to Wembley is walk up Wembley Way, so... That, that there could be there could be some sights to be seen yes. on that a, a few hours before kickoff. <laughs> All right, so for Seahawks fans who are traveling to London for the game and they want to drop in on the pregame party or the actions or the pubs, 
where should they go? Yeah, well, the, the pregame party is at full capacity. So the, the Seahawks have a team-designated pub uh, just to the side of London Bridge, which is the Barrow Boy Banker. There's things happening there uh, all weekend. Um, I think there's pregame as well on Sunday. Then uh, if you go into the game, the Green Man in Wembley, you'll just put Green Man Wembley on Google Maps and something will pop up. There'll be uh, quite a vast number of us in there from lunchtime onwards until the make our way to the stadium, which is about a five-minute walk away. Well, Stu, I hope that you were there for the Arizona win. I hope you bring the Seahawks some good luck. They almost got the win against the Rams last week, a really tough opponent. I think they should do just fine against the Raiders, and I'm glad that you will be there cheering them on. No worries, thanks for having me. I'm 4-1, and one, so I hope that's 5-1 and one come Monday morning. Perfect. All right. Have a great time, Stu. I will do. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, thank you so much, Stu. And you can find Stu and all the other UK Seahawks fans on Facebook at UK Seattle Seahawks fans and on Twitter at Seahawks UK. Well, Justin, things are kicking off a little earlier than they have been for the Seahawks tomorrow. They're starting at 10, and you have a cocktail that might help with that, don't you? We do. It's called the Drunken Pumpkin Latte. It uh, is a riff on what we talked about a few weeks ago, which is all the pumpkin spice latte stuff that's out in the market now. We thought, let's make a a cocktail using coffee and a few other ingredients. So here we go. Uh, You need to get some of our vanilla vodka. The Heritage Distilling Vanilla Vodka is quite good. Let's get some coffee, some pumpkin spiced creamer from the local store or dairy section in your store, some pumpkin pie spice, and some whipped cream. It's best if you make the whipped cream fresh with fresh whipping cream. And uh, we always like to add a little something to the whipped cream, like maybe some BSB or a little bit of vodka to make some boozy whipped cream. Get a coffee mug, and in the coffee mug, pour four ounces of hot coffee, two ounces of the vanilla vodka, two ounces of the pumpkin spice creamer, and a couple dashes of the pumpkin pie spice. Top it off with the whipped cream and serve and enjoy. It's perfect for early mornings, especially now when it's a little chilly outside. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And when you get up to watch football at 10 a.m., I'm ready for coffee. So, well, you get up a little earlier than that, obviously, but ready for some coffee. And usually I would go for a mimosa or something for the game, but this sounds like a very good alternative. Well, this time of year, again, because it's a little chilly out, it's perfect to have a hot drink. And later on, if you want to have the coffee iced instead of hot, that is a great derivation for this cocktail, the Drunken Pumpkin Latte. All right. Well, if you'd like to check out that recipe or any of the other recipes you've heard on this show, you can go to heritagedistilling.com. And if you'd like to catch up on any episodes of Cast Club Radio, you can check out cairoradio.com. That's right. And we are also now carrying the show simulcast on 710 ESPN Radio. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Cast Club Radio. And as always, don't forget to rate us on iTunes. Go Seahawks. Cheers, mate. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling. Check us out on MyNorthwest.com to learn more and catch up on past episodes. Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling on Cairo Radio.